Hello, SEDC. Happy New Year. And welcome to the SEDC podcast presented by Insightful. You heard that right. Earlier this month on the pod, we welcomed Insightful as the presenting sponsor of the SEDC podcast. Insightful provides real-world innovations for economic development. Insightful believes your digital tools should work as hard as you do for your community. That's why Insightful creates data-rich modules, websites, and digital outreach designed to make your visitor take notice without complicating your day. From core four modules, three pillars digital marketing services, and comprehensive websites, to research and analysis, videography, and collateral design, Insightful works tirelessly as your on-call EDC marketing department. So, thank you to the team at Insightful and Ray Methvin for partnering with SEDC to present the podcast. So now, just like earlier this month, this episode features only one of the SEDC Matthews. My name is Matt Tackett. I'm the president of the Southern Economic Development Council. And today, I'm also, again, the solo host of the pod, as our great co-host, Director of Operations Matthew Darius, is behind the scenes making sure the lights stay on at SEDC and that the podcast runs smoothly. But don't worry, Matthew will be back in February. And the good news is, with him comes the return of our opening segments, which have been a lot of fun. This is where he and I live out our dreams as pretend comedians. We interact with listeners through submitted feedback. We review the previous shows and maybe some of the ridiculous things that we've said that listeners have tweeted to us. And we have a bit of back and forth before diving into the real economic development weeds with our special guest. So next month, here's the warning for our listeners. Matthew and I have saved up plenty of dad jokes through the last few weeks, and we're really excited to debut those. But for today, the biggest pro of me flying solo on the podcast is that we get to dive right into our conversation with an American South leader. And here we go right now, as we have a really special guest today. He's a younger yet incredibly experienced economic developer. He's a great supporter of associations throughout the South. And as of January 1st, 2023, he's the leader of SEDC, serving as the board chair of North America's oldest and largest regional economic development association. He's a great friend to all. It's Mr. Scott Pogue. And if you don't know Scott just yet, he's the Director of Business Development and Marketing at the Better Communities Collaborative, which is a parent company to WNA Engineering. In this role, he leads the overall business development and marketing efforts of the firm, as well as providing economic development consulting services to clients. Since 2010, he's been a local economic developer in both Georgia and North Carolina. Scott has announced over $800 million in new capital investments and over 6,500 net new jobs in the communities he's served. He has successfully worked with a range of companies from startup to Fortune 500. His leadership has also successfully supported various workforce development, entrepreneurial, and legislative initiatives. Recently, Scott was named to Augusta, Georgia's Top 10 Young Professionals to Watch list, a distinguished young professional by the Armed Forces Communications and Electronics Association. He was named as a 40 under 40 rising star in economic development by New York-based Development Counselors International and received a top 40 under 40 alumni honors from East Carolina University. Scott is a certified economic developer and also a member of the Georgia Economic Developers Association. So thank you, Scott, for being here. Welcome to the podcast and Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year to you. I appreciate you guys having me, and, and I need to find out how to get in on those that dad joke segment. 
<laughs> well, if you'll submit some, we'll we'll read them for sure. The the probably the most fun that we've had on these so far is reading the listener feedback. But if you've got some cheesy dad jokes, those will fit right in with Matthew and I. I mean, the cheesier the better, right? <laughs> That's right. Now we have a lot to dive in here, from professional and economic development to your vision for our historic council to forecasting the future of economies and more. But before we dive in, here's a peek behind the curtain. You know, we've said Happy New Year several times on this recording, and this is the second released episode of 2023. But we're recording this on December 20th, 2022. So Scott, we really appreciate you joining so close to the holiday. But before we get into the weeds here, we need to know two things. First, have you got all of your shopping done? And second, what does the New Year's Eve party at the Pogue home look like? Man, you know, I feel like I've, I've done pretty well on the Christmas shopping. Uh, you know, I feel like Amazon is at my house multiple times a day. Uh, was able to go shop local a little bit uh, this past weekend. So, I mean, I, I think I, I think I see the finish line. Uh, I think my wife told me earlier she was a little worried about me because uh, some of the stuff that she ordered for me was not in stock. So I, don't know, I might be getting a lump of coal in my stocking uh, <laughs> this year. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so glad that she said that. So I haven't started my shopping done and I want to shop local too and, and support um, the local merchants and local economies, especially downtown. But I'm doing a lot of my shopping too with our great SCDC cornerstone investor, Amazon. So I'm really glad that she said that, but they're, they're going to be at my door, hopefully a lot over the next few days. So yeah, I, I think my household might have single-handedly funded uh, that investment for for SCDC via Amazon. So like I said, the the, uh, the recycling bin at my house is full with Amazon boxes. There we go. Well, we were so thrilled to welcome them. And you broke down the door to make that introduction for us. And really proud that Amazon made a commitment to SCDC and we can't wait to work with them next year. So let's, let's get into it here, Scott. You are a younger professional. We've said that a couple of times. We'll ask you how old you are later. You don't have to answer, but you have in that being a younger professional, you have ascended to a really prominent role, not only in your organization, but also in the economic development industry. So talk to us a little bit about your professional history, how you've accomplished what you've accomplished in such a short amount of time relative to others in the industry. And where do you go from here? Man, I mean, that's kind of a tough question. So, uh, you know, like a lot of people, you know, my age, I'm, a, I'm an older millennial. Uh, and so I'm, I'm kind of on the, the, the tail end of that, you know, generation. Uh, you know, I did undergrad and grad school uh, at East Carolina, you know, originally from North Carolina. Uh, got out of grad school in 09, and it was, you know, a phenomenal job market, you know, at that time. Um, and, you know, with an MBA and a finance degree, you know, I couldn't get a job being a bank teller. Um, I think my first year out of grad school, I applied for over 500 jobs um, and, wow. you know, I did a lot of contract work and waited a lot of tables and dumbed down my resume a lot and was overqualified and underqualified. And, you know, it was a, that was a tough first year in the job market. Um, I, you know, I think one of the jobs I even had, I worked uh, a temp job for the anatomy department at the uh, Brody School of Medicine. And one of my job duties was to let one of the professors know when someone had passed away and wanted to donate their body to science. And like, I was oh, wow. in charge of helping like coordinate 
that delivery. So, I mean, you kind of do, you, you find whatever job you can get, but luckily, uh, you know, I had a lot of, of good friends uh, in the town there and uh, a, a good friend of mine, his wife was a attorney for the county there. And she called me up one day and said, hey, you know, the development commission uh, is advertising this job for an existing industry coordinator. And I, I said, well, what is that? Actually, I think my first question was, does it have benefits? And I think my second question was, well, what is what is that? What is economic development? I had no idea what economic development was and, mm-hmm. um, you know, grew up in family businesses and, and knew the business side and figured out the government side and kind of jumped into economic development uh, doing the existing energy side of stuff. And I was very fortunate to have a really good first boss. Uh, her name is Wanda Uha. She's since retired there in Pitt County, North Carolina. Uh, but she really was one of those bosses that you know taught you a lot and was really kind of hands off and let you kind of run with it. Um, so, I mean, I learned a lot in that first job and, you know, uh, like with a lot of economic development jobs in order to move up, you know, I think you've got to be willing to move around a lot. And mm-hmm. that was kind of what our next step was, you know, uh, we moved to uh, Augusta, Georgia, the opportunity to, to be in charge of their recruitment came up and my wife and I took the jump. We didn't know a soul in the state of Georgia and took the jump and did that for a few years on the local side. And um, then after that, John Williams, who's the CEO of, of now the Better Communities Collaborative at the time, WNA Engineering, called me up and said, you know, hey, Scott, you know, I know you and your personality, you know, would you consider coming over and starting a, a business development department for us? We've never had outside sales and you know i really want to grow a generationally sustainable company you know and at the time um there was the one office in athens georgia which is where our corporate headquarters still is and i think at the time we had about 35 employees and now we're about 150 employees and have uh, i think nine office locations now throughout the southeast and um, actually have, you know, four companies up under our corporate umbrella. So, wow. I mean, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would live in Augusta, Georgia and work for a, an engineering company, I would have told you you're crazy. I know nothing about either one of those. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I love hearing stories like that because think about a, a lot of the, you know, the older millennials or, or the more seasoned folks that are in this industry, a lot of us have kind of fallen into economic development. So I love hearing the stories about how you got into it and then how, especially if you had a, a great boss or a great mentor, what your first little bit of experience looked like. And hopefully you had the ability to, to learn and do and to learn from mistakes. And then you were powered to see whatever that meant for your, your current role or empowered to potentially take on um, new opportunities as community advocates somewhere else. Because... I love talking to younger people in the profession to let them know, look, this is about the best work that you can do. You're, you're changing lives and communities and strengthening enterprise and just providing opportunity. But, oh, by the way, there's almost unlimited opportunity for you. And it's just a really great profession to be in personally as well. So I love, I love hearing that story. And plus, you know, you remind me of me in a lot of ways. I remember being freshly out of grad school, didn't know what I was going to do. And every week just applying and applying and applying for jobs. And, you know, I sort of got lucky too, and just fell into this. So I really love and appreciate your story there. So you mentioned your organization. Talk to us a little bit about um, the Better Communities Collaborative. You're the director of business development 
and marketing. Dive into that a little bit and what your day-to-day -day role looks like and what the company looks like. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we've been real fortunate, you know, you know, I feel like we're still kind of coming out of COVID. Um, and we were very fortunate as a company to, to kind of come through it, you know, pretty well. Um, you know, I would say, you know, two years ago, you know, we were kind of still in the thralls of COVID and whatnot, but, you know, in, in that time period, I mean, we've, we've grown probably from about 40 people to that 150 headcount that I mentioned. And, you know, part of that growth, um, you know, we acquired some companies, we, um, you know, started some new companies. And I think that's where some of my economic development and business experience came in, you know, that entrepreneurship side, um, you know, helping us, you know, as a leadership team in our company, being a, a good voice, you know, as we have those meetings and discussions and whatnot. But, you know, WNA Engineering, which is probably what we're most well known for us, the oldest one of our companies, it, you know, it started as a one person landscape architecture firm in downtown Watkinsville, Georgia. Um, and just over time has has grown to add, you know, the different professional services, you know, with civil engineering and land surveying. And that's what we were for a long time. Um, and really the vision of the company was to, to grow and to create, the, you know, pathways for our employees to grow in their careers and not have to you know, hop from one company to another that we want to be able to provide those pathways for our employees. And so now, you know, we have the Better Communities Collaborative, which is that corporate umbrella. And that's where a lot of our back office stuff sits. So, you know, sales and marketing or C-level folks, finance and administration. And then we all work in every one of the companies. And so um, that's where, you know, a lot of the gray hairs come from, you know, you know, one day you're really working hard, you know, in, in this company and then you got to switch gears and kind of change your strategy working in this company. And sometimes companies at the same day or at the same time. And so um, we pretty much offer everything on the horizontal side of, of development minus, you know, geotech and environmental and stuff. And so without getting too technical, you know, like I said, we do the civil engineering, landscape architecture and land surveying component. Uh, we do traffic and transportation engineering. We do LIDAR, which is really cool 3D data capture. And then uh, we also do utility uh, location. And so that's kind of where we are now on that. You know, really the bigger vision for the Better Communities Collaborative is really as a, a management consulting company where, you know, we might start or acquire a company that has nothing to do with, you know, real estate development or the AEC world. Um, but it's, you know, we're very intentional about our core values and our, and our mission to build better uh, communities. And so any way we can do that, um, you know, we're interested in, in pursuing that. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of ways to measure economic development success. But I, I always go back to look at the heart of this, you're strengthening families, communities and states. So I love hearing that. And, you know, the thing about economic development, too, you're busy, you're under constant timelines, there can be stress, there's a lot of there's a lot of stakeholders. And you mentioned how kind of cross cutting um, you cut through your organizations. But it must be a, a great place to work because you don't have any gray hair on you at all, at least not nearly as much as I do. So how, how's that? That's that doesn't seem fair. Like I don't see any gray on you. Well, I'm lucky because I have blonde hair, man. So it, it kind of hides it a little bit. It doesn't, uh, when you have the dark hair like you do, it, it sticks out a little bit more. So I'm, I guess I'm just good at hiding it. Yeah, mine's um, really coming on stronger and stronger and stronger. My wife recently got me some gray away shampoo, which I don't uh, really know how to how to take that, you know. It's not a joke, right? <laughs> I know. Oh. 
Just going to so slide I'll, this over in your target order. Yeah, I'll look like a totally different guy uh, at our conferences next year without all of my gray hair. But you, um, or actually, I read this in your in your bio, but you're nearing almost a billion dollars of economic projects that you've worked, which is really an incredible statement. So, and this is kind of a, a goofy question, but just how's that happen? You know, how do you get involved on the front end of projects or even midway through a project to help enterprise communities or states accelerate economic development? Man, you know, to be honest, I, I stopped keeping track of the number a few years ago, um, but it's, it's one of those things where, you know, whether it's on the local side, you know, I, I've been I've been on every side of the table, every part of economic development, and which is cool because then you can really see where you, your passions are and where you focus your career. But then you can also kind of speak smartly about about everything. Right. I mean, being a well-rounded economic developer and knowing how to do projects in different states or, you know, urban versus rural or greenfield versus existing buildings or um, existing industries or entrepreneurship. Uh, I mean, it's such a multifaceted thing. I mean, economic development is a tough business. I mean, you've really got to know a little bit about everything to be a really good one. Um, you know, as far as kind of my career, you know, I think I've just been, been lucky. And I think you, it's all about the relationships that you have and whether that's with you know, your utility providers or state project managers or utility or um, site selectors um, or just your your companies that are in your community. Um, it's having those good relationships. You know, one of my first mentors, um, I actually worked my way through grad school in college athletics doing fundraising. And so one of my first mentors uh, professionally, you know, he told me, he said, Scott, you know, if you focus on developing the relationship, um, the app, the ask will come later and nine times out of 10, that donor will ask you, well, how much money do I need to give to get that parking spot or to get those tickets? And he said, it takes a little longer, but that relationship is so much more solidified. And, you know, you don't want to come across as the, you know, the high pressure salesman and the used car salesman, you know, mantra. And I think it's the same way in economic development that, if you focus on cultivating those relationships, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, for the locals that are out there, you know, you got to find out what your magic kingdom is. Like, what is like your thing that makes your community unique? And because at the end of the day, you know, I've heard communities make pitches where, oh, it'd be such a great impact to our community if you did this in our community. And at the end of the day, you know, the company doesn't really care. Like you've got to make that business case to them of why it makes sense for them to make that investment in your community. Um, and, you know, when I was on the local side, you know, one of the communities I was in, we had a tremendous amount of excess water sewer capacity. I mean, like 36 million gallons of excess water per day and 15 million gallons of excess sewer capacity per day. And that was, that was our niche. And, you know, among other things, but that was one thing that, you know, it is impossible for another community to like catch up with that. It takes so much time and money to get that kind of water sewer capacity. And so literally every time I saw a site selector or a state project manager or, um, you know, a utility project manager, I would just, you know, kind of funny, it became a joke of, hey, guys, just remember 36 million gallons of excess water capacity and 15 million gallons of excess sewer capacity. 
And it kind of became a joke of where, yeah, I know, Poke, you got a ton of water. Um, but guess what? Every time there was a big, heavy water user where there was like food processing or biotech or, you know, whatever it was, who, who was on the list? My community was because they knew I had drilled into them that, hey, guys, I've got a ton of water. And they knew that that was a, a tough thing to find. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's something you said really, really struck me because it is so true. If you think about, think about economic development and the work of economic developers, I mean, this is a very sophisticated industry. Our members are doing billions and billions of dollars of deals. This, this is big business and it, it involves in some cases, um, legislation or, or geopolitics or, or whatever. There's, there's so many sophisticated aspects to be successful in this in this profession but at the heart of this you're so right i mean this is this is a relationship thing at the end of the day i mean think about whether it's building strong great relationships with your existing industry and giving them a world-class experience or busting down barriers or or helping find new opportunities and growing that way or creating great relationships with potential new enterprise or consultants because at the end of the day I always like to tell my folks in Kentucky when we would go out on marketing missions for um, business development, look, anything they need to know about Kentucky, as far as what we have to offer uh, from an economic development perspective, they can pull from their cell phones. Let's go in there. And like you said, what is our magic kingdom? How do we differentiate ourselves? And let's just be friends. And that was, yeah. that was literally my, my message. So you're so right on, on building the relationships. And that's such a great, um, thing for our communities and listeners to hear there. So we really appreciate that. Well, it, you know, it's trust, right? You know, so having that relationship is, is trust building is, is what it really is that, you know, whether it's a project manager, you know, with the state or your utility, it's they want to trust that if they bring you a project, you're going to, you know, deliver on what you say you're going to deliver on. If it's a site selector, you know, they're getting paid to put the best communities that are the best fit in front of their clients. They want to make sure that if they bring a client to you, that you're going to make them look good. That like, they don't want to walk away from a site visit and say, well, why did you bring us here? I mean, that person's a Yahoo. They have no idea what they're talking about. You know, they got lost on the way to, you know, the site. Like that was a waste of time. You know, if it's the end user, if they want to trust that what you're telling them, you're going to fall through on and that it is a good investment for them. Right, right. And you'll, we'll talk about a little bit about SEDC in 2023, but I, I think we're being more intentional about business development marketing and, and how do we do that um, as, as a membership association of 17 states? We're, we're talking through that, but initially that'll probably look like a lot of FDI work, but anything that we do relative to that space will be about relationship building uh, fundamentally. So we'll provide so many opportunities for our members to just get to know potential clients, get to know site selectors. Uh, we'll do great work together. We'll also have a lot of fun along the way, but something else that you mentioned. So as impressed as we were with 800 million, you stopped counting um, a couple of years ago, and it's probably maybe you're above the billion dollar mark at this point. And it's, it's a testament to the great professional that you are, the great works that your firm does. And also just the incredible economic momentum that we have here in the South. And we know you're on the front lines and in the weeds of that. And we know project activity is soaring. But can you elaborate on that? Talk about what you're seeing and some trends? 
Sure. I mean, you know, you know, the stat that you always throw around is that, you know, the American South is the third largest economy in the world. And, you know, I always knew that the South was kind of the place to be, you know, from an economic development standpoint. But, you know, when you really think about it that way and compare it globally, I mean, it's kind of hard. I'd be like, wow. And that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, we are unique in how we operate as a business because, you know, it's, I always kind of joke that, you know, somewhere at architecture and construction school, you know, they tell you that you got to have a local civil engineer. And there's this mantra out there that, you know, that's the case. And we have figured out over the last probably 15 or 20 years how to make civil engineering travel. And so, you know, we've managed projects in 46 states across the country over the years. And, you know, we have, you know, a dozen or two clients that we travel all over the country with. And so, I mean, we'll have active projects in every time zone in the U.S. Um, and so we get to see a glimpse that's not, that's more macro and not so micro. Um, so, you know, we had the same conversation as a leadership team. You know, you watch the news and you see, you know, what the Fed's doing and you see, you know, federal spending and you see home starts and, you know, all the statistics that are out there. And that's where, you know, my finance background, like the numbers nerd me comes out and I get really excited. Um, but then you also just kind of have to like look at the world around you. What, do you. what are you seeing from that standpoint? And what we're seeing and what our clients are telling us, you know, we had maybe, I would say in October, end of October, first part of November, you know, kind of right there around election time, which is is not unlike, you know, any other election year. You know, we had a lot of our bigger clients that do projects all over the country, you know, put pencils down for a minute, confirm financing. But after about a week, a week and a half of confirming their financing was in place, I mean, they were off to the races. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that, you know, in doing COVID, you know, in the first quarter of 2020, our company had the highest grossing quarter in the history of the company. So, I mean, in 20 years, then you had the second quarter of 2020, which was, I mean, bad. I mean, it was like, whoa, what, what just happened? You know, I, I vividly remember, you know, watching the news and on one side of the screen, you know, you see earnings reports come out and it's, you know, high grossing profits for these companies. And at the same time, their stock price is just plummeting. Um, so, I mean, it, it really was a mathematical response. Um, and so what we're seeing right now, you know, if you have private equity, um, I mean, you're good to go. Um, they might not be the ideal terms that you want. And, you know, the equity folks, you know, might put a couple extra caveats in there but you know for those bigger projects i mean they're going um mm -hmm. where where the slowdown is is on those smaller projects if you don't have those relationships with private money um you know you're having trouble finding that financing so you know banks are you know tightening up obviously um but you know those bigger and it, it's across every industry sector that's the thing you know from the time you know governor kemp you know here in georgia he was one of the first governors to open the state back up and that was in you know maybe into june first of july of 2020 and so like i said you know first quarter highest gross in ever in 2020 second quarter was like oh my gosh we just got hit by a freight truck but then i feel like you know into june first part of july of 2020 you know i sat down to work one day and i mean it was like nothing ever happened and from the development and construction side it has been wide open ever since and it's not really ever slowed down in the last two years, uh, which is crazy. And so, 
Um, you know, I'm not convinced that, you know, you have all these Fed rate hikes and stuff that they've put into place, but I mean, it takes so much time for that to filter its way through the economy. Right. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that, you know, comes you know in the second quarter of next year that, you know, things won't tighten up um, and we'll be in that full blown recession that just hurts everybody. But right now it's a very kind of, you know, I don't want to use the term haves and have nots, but I mean, you have some industry sectors that are just blowing and going. And I mean, it can't happen fast enough. And then you have some where like the emergency break has been pulled. And so I think that's where as a company, we've tried to strategically, you know, position ourselves both geographically, you know, when you look at the South, when you look, I mean, when you look at our company, I mean, we're in Atlanta, we're in Nashville, uh, Birmingham, Augusta. Um, and so, we're in markets where we feel like we're, you know, they're business friendly environments where uh, new investment is being attracted there that then that multiplier effect ripples out throughout. And I think that's one of the things that the American South has going for it is that there are so many of those across the American South. Um, and, you know, from the industrial perspective, you know, I, you know, while COVID was, you know, this, you know, I hope once in a lifetime event, it's not the first time we've we've sung this song. You know, when I first got into economic development, H1N1 had just happened. And one of my first projects I ever worked was a Canadian company that had gotten a federal grant from DARPA to do a stockpile of H1N1 vaccines. And so after every, you know, one of these kind of big global events, you know, the federal government is going to mandate or incentivize, you know, certain things be manufactured in the U.S. and all the kind of helping with that supply chain. And the private sector companies figure that out, too, that, you know, you I always kind of liken it to, you know, you have this global event. Everybody kind of gets back on the straight and narrow that, man, we really do need to have control of our supply chain and not, you know, expose ourselves too much. But then the further and further you get away from those big kind of you know, old man moments, you know, it's, you know what, we should, we should, you know, it's worth the risk to, you know, have our supply chain and to have a sole source of this one raw material that could make or break our company. Of course that makes sense. Right. And then you get so kind of over your skis on it. And then you have that global event that kind of snaps you back to reality. It's like, Oh man, we do need to have, you know, some stuff there. I mean, look what Apple's doing um, you know, with the manufacturer of the iPhone, you know, they've already announced that, you know, they're not going to just manufacture those in China. They've already said that I think 20 or 25% of iPhones to start next year are going to be made in Vietnam and India. And so, I mean, they're diversifying, you know, their supply chain and their manufacturing base too. So, you know, part of being an, an economic developer is you got to be a continuous learner. You've got to be a student of your craft. And in our case, it's kind of everything. And so, um, you got to keep track of, you know, what's going on in the global economy and being a kind of a, an amateur economist. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you're right about the, um, the time that it will take stimulus dollars, for example, to move through a system that, that takes some time. And there's still a significant amount of stimulus funds that still need to make, make their way through. So we'll, we'll expect to continue following that for, for some time, but, um, like you said, project activity has remained um, just at really impressive all-time high clips. We know that that our communities are are so well positioned to continue um, seeing success. We we know that our members are their iconic brands that that we're nurturing. Um, emerging industry 
is um, is taking flight every day in the American South that, that we're seeing a just incredibly disproportionate amount of mega projects, which which is is new too in in our in our region. So there is so much momentum and good to celebrate, but there is also so much opportunity to make sure that we stay on on the forefront as the global FDI leader, or that we we stay as um, the greatest region in the nation for for economic development. So what does kind of where do we go from here? And what what would be the Scott Pogue advice for communities to best position themselves for success? Me, you know, my, my favorite answer, uh, you know, in grad school, for sure, was what well, it depends. Um, you know, it depends on, on what your community is, where you're located, you know, because it, it's different for everyone. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like your job is to mitigate risk and shorten the timeline for the end user. Like those are the two biggest things to do. And for some people, it might be infrastructure. For some people, it's site development. For some people, it's workforce. Um you know, so it just depends on that community and, and what you're trying to attract. I mean, if, if you haven't, as an economic developer, kind of reverse engineered what your, you know, asset inventory is and figured out your target market, I mean, that's the first place you have to start. Um, you know, I tell communities that, you know, you can't pick up your community and move it closer to an interstate or closer to an airport. Um, so you have to you have to focus on what you can control. Um, you know, I, and I've even made, you know, bold statements, you know, in the in the last year where, you know, from a site selection standpoint, my opinion is, is that workforce really doesn't matter uh, in the site selection decision. You know, let me be very specific about that. And I say that because workforce is an issue everywhere. If I'm going to have workforce issues in community A and community B and community C, I mean, that's an equalizer. And so, that's where you got to focus as your community and find out, like I said, what your niche is. You know, I mean, do you have a site? You know, you know, I tell people all the time there's a really big difference between dirt and a site. And unless you put due diligence into a site and maybe the site, it's just a, a patch of dirt. I mean, you can't just have a patch of dirt that's, a, you know, you lease to a cotton field uh, and then expect this big mega, you know, manufacturing plant to want to locate there. Um, you got to mitigate risk and shorten the timeline for that end user. So, you know, you got to really kind of look at yourself and your community and see what can you control that will help position you to be successful. No, no doubt. No doubt. And even if workforce wasn't a strain um, worldwide or, or nationally or, or in some of our communities, a site consultant or a company cannot evaluate your workforce if you don't have a site that's attractive and, and ready to roll in the way that timelines um, are just accelerating um, the way that, and we know this, and you've said it too, look, success will come when you offer quick risk-free site selection experiences to members and other pieces fall into the line. But the biggest thing, one of the biggest things for me is product development all across our, our region. So if you are um, a community that's interested and that is well positioned for industrial recruitment, site development, product development, if you can invest, you need to be thinking very strategically. And I say the word strategically purposefully, you need to be thinking about product development in your community because other states are investing hundreds, $200 million or more on, on site development. There are really innovative grant making programs. Communities are investing unlike ever before, and that will keep us on the forefront of economic development. But this, the communities that are doing that are so competitively 
advantage because site selectors will tell you sites are an issue across the country. So the more that we can do to ready ourselves to provide those quick risk-free experiences, the better we're going to be. I mean, no, no product, no project, a lot of our friends like to say. And then if you think about workforce, for, for what you mentioned about it potentially being a strain across the nation, which is true, we are an advantaged region. We're at an all-time high as far as labor availability and labor participation rate in the, in the American South. We know there are great workforce development initiatives being deployed, and we probably should do a, a, a webcast or a session about some of the innovation that's existing out there. But relative to workforce, we are advantaged compared, um, competitively compared to some of the other regions, which is just a, a great thing, and it, and it leads us to um, so much optimism for the future of economic development here and looking forward to working closely with Scott as, as we're leading what SEDC's role is in, in that space. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and another thing on the site side, um, you know, don't be scared of a site with warts because guess what? They they all have, you know, bumps and bruises on them. There, there are no good sites, you know, just sitting out there waiting to be taken up. Uh, if there's a good site out there, it is under contract and someone uh, has control of it and they're going to build something on it. And so, that's where you've got to be, you know, proactive and and be honest with yourself. Like, what what are the shortcomings of your sites? And you know, don't think that oh, well, I'm a small community, and so I don't have the millions of dollars to invest in, you know, extending a road, you know, down to my site or infrastructure down into my site. Um, you know, going back to what I said before, it's about mitigating risk and shortening the timeline. So. You know, if you like, I don't have the the money to build the road, but if I design the road and then I can point to like, this is what the road's going to be. This is how long it's going to take to construct it. And this is the bucket of money that's going to pay for it. And so from the time you sign the dotted line and say you're committed to the site, you know, this is how we're going to, you know, pay for the road. It's already designed and we're ready to put a shovel in the ground. I mean, that's a great way to one, not only maintain flexibility on your site, that if, you know, you need to make some tweaks here and there before it does go into construction, it gives you that flexibility. But I mean, that's what most, you know, companies want and site selectors want on the back end is just knowing that some thought has gone into how are you going to provide those services and how are you going to pay for it? You know, I think the worst thing you can, you know, do, I mean, you know, they tell you this all the time, you know, leave, leave a question blank on an RFI. But I mean, imagine being on a site visit it's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm sure we could, you know, extend a road down there, a water line down there. And I don't know how long it's going to cost or or how much it's going to cost or how long it's going to take to do it. I mean, that's a lot of variable and risk there, right? And so if right. you can answer those questions, I mean, that that's how you're successful. Right. And we're, we're seeing states begin to look at ROI-based grant making to um, acquire potential new economic development properties, but probably more importantly, to address potential issues that um, existing assets already have. And, you know, a good example of this is before um, I left Kentucky, the Association for Economic Development, to come here, we passed legislation that allocated $100 million into ROI-based kind of asset um, asset fixes or asset um, or addressing um, potential issues within the property that we had and to also acquire new new properties. So that was just our little association in Kentucky. And other states are doing that now too, as, as I'm becoming more familiar with what's happening or other utility partners or, or other regions, it's happening out there. So if there are um, 
potential things that you can do to increase the, attract, the attractiveness uh, with ROI-based ROI um, actions, it would be a really good thing to do if, if it's aligned with your economic development strategy. And not, not only the $100 million we had in Kentucky for, for product development, there was another $100 million allocated for Megasite build-out. And other states are, are doing that too. So there's, it's almost like an arms race for product, which is so great for, for our region, but it's also um, a new reality that there's being major investments that all of us as economic developers need to think about. Well, and, and isn't that such a great way to invest public money, right? Because I mean, you know, the big argument with incentives are, well, what happens if the company closes down or they leave? Well, well guess what? I mean, if you've, in, if you've invested in either workforce training or the site, guess what? That dirt's not going anywhere. And so if you've invested, you know, incentive money into a site, you know what? And if it doesn't work out with that company, then guess what? You've got a prime site that you can then use to attract the next company. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's one of those things that kind of helps mitigate some of those risks. Uh, it's, it's a really good kind of permanent clawback on that site that, you know, hey, we're still going to have that great site that we can market with. No, no doubt. And they're at a premium right now. So we mentioned, um, let's turn, let's turn the page here to, to some SEDC stuff. And then we'll get into the really hard questions here in a bit. But I mentioned, we mentioned your prominent role in the industry. You're an important voice in several state economic development associations. You're recently at um, GEDA in Georgia. I know you were speaking in Tennessee at the TEDC um, conference recently. And you've took the helm as our chairman at SEDC. And let's talk about that. So let's talk about your role as chair for one and your your vision for the council for your year in 2023 and beyond. Well, I mean, I think prominent is a subjective word. Uh, you know, with GDA, you know, I think GDA is probably one of the, the best state organizations for economic development that I've seen. You know, I mean, I think at the last annual conference there were, you know, the over 400 people in attendance, oh, wow. you, know, part, you know, part of that, you know, there's 159 counties in Georgia. So you got a lot of local economic developers, but I mean, there's really great involvement from, you know, all the different partners throughout you know, economic development in Georgia. Um, you know, the private sector companies get involved. You know, I've been involved with, you know, North Carolina economic development in the past. Uh, you know, that's a great association. And then, you know, TEDC, Tennessee's economic development, you know, that's a great uh, organization as well. Um, you know, I, I think that's one thing with SEDC, you know, we always encourage our members to be members of their state associations, uh, because that's where, that's where you're learning the nuts and bolts of what's going on in your state, the day-to-day -day stuff. And then SEDC is really meant to kind of, you know, supplement that, um, you know, I've held several chair positions and stuff, you know, at, at state levels and, uh, you know, right now, probably one of the funnest ones, actually, you know, uh, Missy Kendrick, who, is the alternate director for Georgia. Her and I are probably the most famous committee chairs at GDA currently because we're in charge of the door prizes. And so yeah. we get to get up and uh, part of, you know, sponsorship options there is people will donate cash that, you know, we then do door prizes to make sure that people are in attendance uh, to incentivize them to make sure that they're at all the sessions and stuff. And if they're not there, anyone who's been to a GDA event, they know that Missy and I like to make fun of those people who do not uh, get to partake in the cash prizes because they, 
uh, did not attend the sessions. They're playing hooky. So uh, that's one thing we do to kind of help make it fun and, uh, you know, make sure people are there at the sessions and stuff. Um, Great idea. But, you know, as, as far as SCDC goes, uh, like I said, it's meant to kind of really supplement, you know, what you don't get at those state groups, you know, to broaden your networking and seeing what other states are doing that. Um, you know, really my vision for SCDC, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I feel, I feel old a lot of times, especially on cold mornings, but, you know, I, I, I got my, my start in SCDC with the young professionals committee. And I think the first event I went to was, a uh, a young professional meet the consultants in Chicago and, you know, just really saw the value right away and enjoyed kind of the relationships you make kind of broader than just your state and just kind of had a passion that kind of got lit in me to kind of stay involved in, you know, with anything, you know, you get out of it, what you put into it. And so kind of worked my way as an alternate director and, and state director, and then worked my way up through the chairs and stuff. And, um, you know, kind of like I said, you know, down in San Antonio, you know, we've been through a lot the last couple of years. I mean, trying to not only, you know, keep a business going and, you know, your family safe during a pandemic and just all that other stuff, you know, then being on the board in a volunteer role, trying to keep, you know, an association that's been around for, you know, you know over seven decades, um, trying to make sure it doesn't fold. I mean, you talk about an immense amount of pressure. Um, you know, not a lot, if you can't do face-to-face -face events, you know, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, keep the doors open and, you know, that group of leadership and we had to make some hard choices and tried to think outside the box for, you know, how are we going to keep SEDC going? And so now that we've kind of come out of that, you know, now with, you know, Gene retiring and Gene did a great job, um, you know, doing his tenure here. Um, but with him retiring and, you know, you coming on board, you know, I, I'm pretty pumped. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you and I share a lot of of passion and vision for what the potential for an organization can be. You know, I think like with anything, um, you've always got to be figuring out what's next. Because if you're not doing that, you get stale and, you know, the competition is going to come, you know, in the middle of the night. And next thing you know, you wake up and you're not as relevant as you used to be. And so, I think even just some of the stuff we've done with, you know, the annual uh, investment uh, program and the wage surveys and, you know, the podcast, you know, like we're doing now and the webinars and professional development stuff. I mean, just that stuff, I think, is is such a great benefit. And I, I think that's kind of where, um, you know, the vision goes. And I think with the planning session we just had, you know, in the fall in Birmingham, you know, there were so many great ideas that came out of that, and you know, like I said there, you know, I don't I don't want to look at, you know, my term as chairman as just, well, what do I want to get accomplished from January to December of 23? And then I'm done. Like I really want to look at, you know, there's such a strong, you know, chairman line coming after me with Brian Gwynn and Janet Dyke and Tim Weston. I mean, you know, I I I'm I love dad jokes. And so I guess I do cheesy analogies too. I said, you know, I, I wanna <laughs> I want my job to to be to build the kitchen table. And then I want, you know, Brian to, you know, figure out, you know, what we're having for supper and go do the grocery shopping. And then Jana makes the dinner and then Tim gets to, you know, invite the the people over that, you know, you got to think of it as not only what do you want to accomplish in your term, 
but where do we want to be in five years and break it down? Like, what do we want to be in five years and 10 years and how do we need to get there? And so yeah. there's going to be a lot of things that we try to do this year that, you know, we're going to try, we're going to fail and that's okay. I mean, failure is great. Failure is a great thing. You learn the most things in life when you fail. And so I'm not scared of failure. So we're going to try a lot of things that might not work out or that the timing might not have been right on it. And then we're going to do some things that, you know, we, we're not going to see the benefits of that for, you know, four or five years. And so I think that's really kind of my vision is, is really kind of just putting us in the organization on a pathway to this thing that we, we don't even really know what we're capable of, but pointing us in that direction of enhancing that member benefit and really with the mission of ensuring that the South has the best economic developers in the world and providing them a trade group where they're able to go sharpen their craft and network and figure out what's next for them and to be that sounding board, um, you know, for the the local economic developers in the South. You're, you're, you're so right about the, the energy and the, uh, the appetite to be innovative or, or creative maybe in new ways. Um, that exists within our executive board. So I'm so glad you mentioned that the the kitchen table analogy um, honestly makes a lot of sense, and and we really like that. And and Matthew Darius and I, the two staff people over here, we 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 refer to that a lot. But so our job over here is we just want to keep up, Matthew and I, keep up with you and just be the the hands and the feet and and the worker bees to execute upon upon this vision and just to make sure that we can keep this lightning in a bottle that exists within the exec group, um, keep that. So, and we're, we've worked really hard this year to try to, um, set up a strong, even stronger, um, foundation this year. So we've brought on almost 300 members. I think about 300 by the time this airs, it will be over that of new people within the last 12 months. We've, um, really strengthened our, um, financial security, which was always fine, but we, we've, been very intentional about growing upon that. And we tried to, like you said, to, to, to fill some of the gaps that um, maybe st- just to fill gaps of other associations and to provide value. We've tried to launch our own program. So we're in the education and data space now. And then, like you said, you and I, we share such a common vision and so many um, common ideas. Um, and one of which was the, the annual investment program. So, and I, I can remember this, and I don't know if, if you do, or even maybe I'm making things up in my head, but through the interview uh, process, the final interview when we were in Atlanta together, I remember going off about just some things that I, I thought we had opportunity to take a look at. One of which I said, you know, I think we need to look at a, a corporate investment program at SEDC. I think that would be, would be really good. And I remember you were sitting close to me and I happened to look at you and I saw you look up and maybe your eyebrows raised a little bit. And then you looked at Jana and I thought, okay, he either really hates that or it's been his idea before too. And I think it, it was your idea before too. And I'm so glad that we got to do that together. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, I feel like I sit in a very unique seat because I've been on the local side of economic development. So I've seen that. And then I've also been involved in economic development on the private side. And so you know, you see it from both sides and, you know, you try to get some ideas, you know, kind of out there. And I mean, anyone that knows me knows I'm not scared to share my opinion about something. And so, um, you know, I I definitely am a voice for, and I'm probably that annoying person that always asks the why. Well, like, well, why do we do it that way? Why have we always done that way? 
And I, I 100% know that I've ruffled feathers, you know, all the time. And, but I, I think that in anything in life and I, you know, challenge, you know, those out there as economic developers or those in companies and stuff. Um, I know that's one thing I really love about my company is that, you know, we have, we have those big why sessions. I mean, we're doing that the first part of January, we do our annual leadership retreat. And like the point of that is to go, let's go look at the problems. Like, what are the biggest problems facing us as a company? And like, why, why do we do stuff this way? And, you know, is there a better way to do it? And like, that's where like innovation comes from. Right. And so um, that's where I get real excited is, you know, having a, a, a group of leadership, both on the, on the board side and on the staff side that are kind of there asking those same questions and not scared to try something new and not scared to ask those questions and to, you know what, Hey, you know what, maybe we were doing something that worked really well in the past and it just got stale and it's okay to change it. It's okay. If we got something wrong, it's okay to, you know, evolve. Um, you know, it's just, you know, you, it's the whole Thomas Edison thing about the light bulb, you know, what, what is it? You know, I, I didn't fail, you know, a thousand times or whatever it was. I just mm-hmm. figured out a thousand ways not to make the light bulb. Um, you know, that's, uh, I think the mentality you have to have when you're, when you're a leader. I, I love the questions that we're asking right now. Why, I mean, wh- why would, why should you be part of SDC? Um, how can we continue to, to add value to our members experience and how can we, we think differently. And I think you'll just see so much of that. We, uh, we've shared a common interest in um, building relationships with EDA and seeing how that can evolve to, to a meaningful way. And it's just so fun to work with you and the board right now. And I remember even from, from day one or from um, the question that I thought we kind of had um, some mind melding here on the, on the corporate in- investment. Look, we're not necessarily always in financial development mode, but we want to be financially strong so that we can support all of the innovation that we need to do. So I just wanted to say, to say that, but, but we happen to share that as a common interest. And I thought, okay, and Scott, I think, I think he's going to vote for me on this one. We, um, you know, we're on the same page, but this speaks to your poker face. The very next question you nailed me on, on, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if you remember that it was something I was going on about wanting to be a consultative agent and just wanting to get into the data services way. And I think that's, that's all fine. And we're probably on the same page, but I think you probably sense maybe, all right, you know, Matt needs some guidance here. He's going, maybe it's just something and you got me on a good one. I remember. So I didn't know. I left that interview thinking, I don't know about the tall guy over there. So that was a good poker question, right? You know, tell me why. And I mean, I tell my staff and my staff kind of makes fun of me. Like I tell them like, I want to be the dumbest person in the room. And they kind of, everybody kind of does like the puppy head tilt when I say that, but you know, I want, I want you to be the subject matter expert in, you know, in your thing. And because if I know, if I know as much as you do about it, then why do I need you? And so sometimes the why is like pushing you to like defend your position. And sometimes it's the, all right, we'll talk like make your case. Like if we can, you know, make money doing it or it's a value to our members doing it, then like, yeah, sell me on it. Like, tell me why. And I'll give you my opinion of why I think it will or won't work. But, um, you know, I also think you can't, especially, you know, when you're, you know, in the position we were of hiring somebody, I mean, you can't always find the, the rose colored glasses size of like, oh, well, we agree on this or that, or, you know, they're friends with so-and-so or, you know, whatever it is, like, I, I want to push you. I mean, you're, you're in a tough seat to lead an organization of, you know, what we 1300 members, you have 1300 opinions that you got to put up with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, part of that is, you know, if you can't handle, 
you know, some tough questions here and there, then, you know, you're in the long run of work. And I mean, clearly you, you did a great job or else you wouldn't be sitting here. Um, so, I mean, um, yeah, I think it's fun, man. Um, I'm excited about where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been, there's been a lot of momentum and a lot of energy that's always existed here. And in so many ways, it's been easy to walk into SEDC because of just one, how well-oiled it was, how hands-on the leadership is. And then the, um, just the great family spirit that we have at, at SEDC and it, and it is real. And we've talked about that and we, we can feel it, but before we, we go on to the hot seat. So one, one last question, and, and you've, you've, you've dug in on this a little bit, but is, as um, SEDC seeks to differentiate ourselves or, or fill, fill gaps, you know, one, one of the things that we've done is, is get into the education space because you mentioned, you know, you're an older millennial. We've said this, a lot of us have kind of fallen into to economic development. Um, but one of the things that has happened recently is the entry point and kind of the gateway to that is, has, has just become different. It's become more professionalized and academic. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of educational opportunities at SEDC and, and state associations. Um, so I, I say that because I think your answer um, will kind of lead us back to associations and then SEDC. But you're the youngest chair in SEDC's history. Can we say how old you are, for one? And then for, for two, when people see you as this young person chairing SEDC or speaking conferences, you're naturally just someone that can be looked at as a role model. You know, a lot of us younger people, I'm almost 40. We, um, you know, we're pretty impatient. So we want that fast track to just this great level of success. But uh, what, what's your advice? How, um, you know, how can someone duplicate or replicate what, what you've done in a short amount of time as far as being a leader in these associations in SEDC? Man, um... Well, I mean, I hate to burst your bubble here, but I think I'm younger than you are. So uh, I'm I'm 38. Uh, I'm, I'm a newly minted 38 year old as of September. Um, but the luckily lucky lucky part of that is is that I'm a giant, and so you know the people don't really you know associate giant with being young, and so they're like, "There's no way he could have grown that tall in such a short amount of time." Um, and so um, you know, really. I mean, kind of like I said, I mean, there wasn't really anything, I don't think, intentional that I did that like, oh, I want to be the chairman of SEDC one day and said, this is the strategic path I'm going to take. You know, I mean, I would just say just professionally, you know, find the smartest person in the room and like go ask them questions. Um, you know, like when I'm looking to hire people and when I look at the, the people who I see as successful you know, on my team, you know, it's it's the right mix of initiative and humbleness to know when you need to ask that question. Like I tell my staff all the time, like I, I need you to be self-sufficient on one hand, but then I also need you to be humble enough to know like when you need to, to come ask a question. Cause then I'm here to, I'm here to help. Um, but I also want your opinion and want your spin on things. Otherwise I wouldn't have hired you. Um, I need your flavor on that. And so I think it's the same thing. And that's, that's where SEDC is such a great partner. And, you know, I'm certainly not trying to turn this into an SEDC commercial, uh, but it's, it's finding those people who've been in the business for a long time or have done cool and innovative things. Like, I mean, I don't know, I, I can't fathom the amount of people that probably call you on a daily basis and ask you about what you did in Kentucky with getting that site development money. I mean, that's such a outside the box, innovative thing to do. And 
if people aren't, you know, lining up and talking to people like that to find out, well, how'd you do that? Like, what made you think about that? Um, and just, like I said, always, always be asking why, um, you know, and you got to do it and, you know, a respectful way and things like that, but also just don't be scared to, to challenge the status quo um, and, and ask the, and ask this question. So, you know, you might not do it in a, a big open environment in a way that comes off as like brash or trying to make a name for yourself. But like I said, find that mentor and it's okay to have more than one mentor. Um, I mean, I've probably had, you know, four or five in my life and each one at different phases in my life and different phases of my career and different entries and stuff, but find those people in your profession that like, I want to be that person right there. Like when, you know, because we all have those people in our profession, you know, in our States and stuff that, man, like if there's a project going on, like I 100% know that person's involved in it or, you know, I want to be that person when I grow up and you got to find those people and pick their brains and it's worth going and buying them a cup of coffee or lunch or a, a drink or something like that. And just ask them questions. Like, how did you, how did you get here? Like, what made you think of that? And so, uh, like I said, you know, I hope when people see me, they, they see someone that, you know, has the best interest of the organization at heart and, you know, I, I certainly have a lot more to learn, but, you know, I, I also have seen a thing or two and, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared to say, I don't know. I think that's the other part is that, that humble part of, well, what do you think? Um, so, yeah. I, I, I knew you would go there. That's why I, I, I wanted to say what I said about state associations and, and SCDC, because look, I, I think that the thing is, and you're such a great model for this one, you're talented and humble. I mean, of course, but for two, you were, you were involved. That's why I, I love to tell people, look, join your state association, get as deeply involved in their education as you can so that you can learn the industry, then find a mentor and a champion, and then join SCDC and do the exact same thing, except find your mentor from some other state. Yep. That way you can just be comparing what, what it looks like. And it's such a powerful, powerful thing to do. And when you become involved and if you, you don't mind to speak up, you don't mind to learn and be confident in, in your voice and yourselves, you'll naturally be looked at for, for leadership. And, and you've done that and you're such just a great example. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, um, that's very kind of you to say, I, you know, I also think, you know, it's, it's developing that personal brand, you know, and I actually, you know, I was given a, an internal meeting about business development and getting our technical folks involved in, you know, peer organizations and trade organizations and stuff. And, you know, I think that's one of the most important investments that you can make in your career. It's so easy to get stuck in the day to day and that, you know, when five o'clock hits, like I'm ready to go home and kick my shoes off and just relax. And especially if you're, you know, introverted or something, but, you know, going to those chamber events or finding that trade association or being a, a, a committee chair with your state group or SEDC or, you know, whatever it is, whatever group it is you decide to get involved with, you know, you got to put in that extra time and you're developing your personal brand. Like there, there's no shortcuts to success. Like you got to be willing to put the time in. And I think that's where it's important to find, you know, a career path and, a group of people to surround yourself with that, you know, it, cause it is a family because I mean, golly, we spend so much time together that, I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta like and trust the people you're, you're around. Mm -hmm. No doubt. No doubt. So we've, we've spent more time with you than you probably, probably thought we, we could talk all day and we'd love to have you back on um, economic development. And we, we, we want to do an economic development dads segment with you too, just to see how you balance work and home life, but I think yeah. it's time, it's time to move on here from, 
from the softball questions. And now normally it's the board chair that's putting staff on the hot seat, but just this once, if it's okay with you, it's time to put Scott Pogue on the SEDC hot seat, if it's okay, Mr. Chairman. Let's do it. I think we need some like really dramatic and like we need Matthew to remember this in post production, like some really dramatic like game show music right here. Dun dun dun. Are you the best golfer in SEDC? Absolutely not. Uh, but luckily, uh, golf is one of those th things in life you don't have to be good at to enjoy. Okay. We ask because you are our official um, correspondent to the Masters in Augusta this year. So follow-up question to that. How many tickets can Matthew and I expect this year from you? Man, you know what? I tell people this all the time. It's Finding the badges is not the hard part. It's having a place to stay because uh, it's those last minute badges that come up of someone like, oh man, I got an extra badge and it's 10 o'clock at night and I need you to meet me at the gate at seven. Um, and so, I mean, like I rent my house out and so I go crash with uh, my in-laws and stuff. And so, I mean, that's that's the hard part is have, having that place to put your head down. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Have you already got it rented out for this year's tournament? We're hopefully, uh, we're getting uh, to the final stretches of that right now. So we're actually doing that. That's the other crazy thing about, it. we can have a whole webcast about that, you know, the housing market in Augusta and like the crazy stuff we do to our houses. I mean, there are people I know that have like, you know, they can convert their garage to like a commercial kitchen. This is just for Masters Week and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy to see that kind of behind the scene thing, what people do to their houses. It's yeah, it's huge. And now Matthew and I found that out the, the hard way this year. So we were looking to um, place our um, meet the consultants, our normal site selector conference. And we found, you know, cause it's hard to locate conferences at, at SEDC. You have to, for one, all these partners, all these states, you have to figure out what all the year years worth of programming looks like. And you've got to find your little, your little block of days. And we did April 3rd through the 5th this year. Beautiful. But we weren't thinking, and you helped us on this. That's Masters Week in Georgia. That's not going to fly. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's it's a national holiday for sure. Yeah. So we we were looking for, and we're doing this in in Atlanta. But now we know going forward on our spreadsheet is when is the Masters? Watch out, especially if we're in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. Second. Oh, who's going to win this year? Who who's your uh, early bet for the Green Jacket? Man, I don't know, but they did actually just release today. I mean, this is coming out in January. It's old news, but they did say that for 23, uh, that it's going to be their previous qualification stuff, even if you're live. So they are going to let the live players qualify. Oh, wow. Yeah. All that's, that's a, a podcast too, to get into. Yeah. Okay. okay. So much more. We could be like sports economic development. I mean, we could do all sorts of stuff with this. Yeah. Yeah. We, we would love to especially once we get a little more season that won't get us in as much trouble, but yeah, in the future for sure. Okay. Favorite airport in the South and why? Oh man. Um, I mean, airports, I mean, are, are any of them fun? Um, I, I would, I would probably have to say, I, you know, I got to go with the hometown, man. I think the Augusta airport is my favorite for two reasons. Uh, I think one, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, it means I'm home. And if you're a road warrior, you can appreciate that. Uh, and two, I think my personal best from getting to my car to the seat um, of my airplane is seven minutes. So, yeah. I mean, you can't argue with that. Oh, those are the best. That's how my, um, my local airport is too. I've been, I've not been to the Augusta airport. I've been to the Savannah airport, 
and they they play on the masters and pga a little bit so so yeah. you know great little quick in and out airport too good food so have to check yeah. augusta out okay this is probably the question we thought about deleting because it's just dumb you know it's probably it's probably the most ridiculous question that we've asked but this was when matthew was supposed to be on with us but who's taller me you or matthew i mean they wouldn't hire me at the carnival for the gesture height booth but i'm going to go ahead on a limb and say that you're not the tallest and so i think it's between matthew and i and i, I think just because i probably have a bigger head than him i think i, I might have him by like half an inch I, I don't know. Yeah. So I know you guys, both of you are taller than me, but that's, that's pretty close. We may need to get you to stand back to back next time we're together. But Matthew is like, I mean, are you guys, are you six, six, maybe six, seven, Scott? Yeah, I'm six, six. Okay. I think Matthew's there too. So you guys are close. We could build I mean, a basketball. We could do like a pool. Like everybody put like a dollar in and see, you know, let's like turn, let's make this interesting. Matthew says he's six, seven. He just put it in. So we'll see Matthew. You're not here to defend yourself. We, we don't know. So we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll say Scott's the tallest for now, but we're going to need to verify. Now we could put a basketball team together too. take on Let's some of those it. other hey, watch out mid America EDC. We're uh, yeah. we challenge you to a basketball game. Let's do follow it. Up to, here's a follow up to you. Do people taller than you kind of freak you out a little bit? It is weird because mm -hmm. You know, I don't realize how tall I am until I see myself in a picture. And so I'm always just kind of used to like kind of having my head at that like negative angle of like kind of looking down around me and stuff. And so when you like get to like kind of stand up straight and look someone straight on or like look up at somebody, it's just an odd feeling. So, I mean, kind of, I mean, I guess liken it to like, you know, if you're, you know, five, seven and you see a huge giant like me walk up and you're like, oh, man, you're tall. Did you play basketball? Like. That's kind of like the same feeling that that we have as as giants when we see someone that's taller than we are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's such an unusual thing when I talk to people taller than me, but it is, you know, it's just unusual. So, but it, it's, I always kind of notice it and feel it, but it doesn't happen that often. I'm I'm six three even. So, okay, who would play you in a movie? Oh man, uh, like some unknown actor. Um, I would. Uh, I would say like a dad bod version of like Chris Pratt. Um, you know, I think he does like serious stuff, but then is also like kind of a jokester. And so mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I, I I like to crack jokes at maybe inappropriate times, but then like, you know, also can be serious when I absolutely have to be. I love Chris Pratt, by the way. Um, so I got to know it on Parks and Rec was one of my favorite shows, but you're right. He got just ripped and in great shape once he got into the marvel space yeah let me yeah let me make sure i emphasize the dad bod version of chris pratt matthew said chris pratt as well or oh, chris yeah he said well he had two so he cheated but he said either chris pratt or chris evans okay so and i, I told him he can't be captain america he could be captain america south okay okay here's here's one you'll be interested in Who's the real Southern football powerhouse in our region? Is it is it Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, or is it East Carolina? Uh, well, I mean, I gotta go with my Pirates, right? Like, go Pirates! Like, any once again, anybody that knows me or has played golf with me, like, I've got skull and crossbones on my golf shoes and purple golf shoes and pirate belts and all sorts of stuff. So I'm definitely a big, big pirate. I will probably have to end up cutting a check 
to, to UGA, uh, you know, with my kids being native Georgians and hopefully that hope scholarship coming down the pipeline. Um, but not for sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of those huge proponents and I, I wish they would just go ahead and put me on the college, uh, selection, college football playoff selection committee. I mean, I think that this thing has got to go to 16 teams for sure. Um, I think that's one of the things growing up in North Carolina, you get so excited about college basketball, um, uh, and March madness because any team can win. And I think that's the thing that college football lacks is, you know, you hear all these, Oh, strength of schedule, strength of schedule and yeah, and all that stuff. But you know, how awesome would it be? I actually saw something the other day, you know, and it was if D one, uh, did the same format as division two did for their playoff and had like the teams listed in there, like what the brackets would be and stuff. And I shared it to some of my friends who I argue with this about a lot. And I was like, guys, would this not be the most epic, you know, fall, winter football season? Um, you know, yeah. get rid of get rid of some of those fluff teams in the season. You can incorporate, you know, the, some of the existing bowl game infrastructure. Um, but I think having that pathway for for every team to play for that national championship game, that's what makes it fun. You know, the Cinderella's coming in and, and upsetting those folks. I mean, whoever would have thought that Tennessee would beat Alabama this year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got to expand the play. Maybe that's our first legislative initiative at SEDC. We tackle the playoffs. Uh, I'm behind college that, football. I will say, you know, Condoleezza Rice, she's a member of Augusta national. So maybe I could set up like a meeting there, um, you know, and, and we could start there. Yeah. I, I, the Condoleezza Rice thing always fascinates me because, you know, total super respect for, for her professionally and her service to, to the nation for one, but I always, I, want to remind myself to go back and look into how is she so plugged into football? So she, she's been on the selection committee, but do you remember a couple of years back? And I think this was serious. Her name was being floated around, floated around as the coach of the Browns for a little while. What? <laughs> I thought, was, yeah. So she must have, you know, a really great football just experience that, that we've missed because she's always thrown around in the football landscape. That's just me being jealous, by the way. That is for sure. Okay, so uh, moving on here, this one, you know, when I did this in Kentucky, this got people in trouble all the time. So I won't ask you where the best place to eat in Augusta is, but where's the best place to eat in Georgia? I think one of my favorite places, and it kind of gets overdone just because it is kind of a landmark. And so some people get tired of it, but um, House Steakhouse in Atlanta, man, it's a great steak. It's kind of that old school vibe. You know, you got to you know, uh, it's, it's like a cigar lounge on the first floor. I'm not a big cigar guy, but I think just that kind of just old school, uh, vibe that it gives off. And I mean, it's, it's just a really good steak. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to uh, see if Matthew knows that place. We'll hit it next time I come to Atlanta to see him. So, um, last question here. So we noticed that you have, this is back to sports. We noticed you have a graduate certificate in sports management too. So does that mean that eventually you, you're going to find your dream job and become a college athletic director? 100%. Absolutely. This whole like economic development thing is just kind of like a, you know, a thing to, to pay the bills. Um, I'm just waiting for that phone call. Uh, you know, a buddy of mine actually just became the chancellor of East Carolina. So, I mean, what a great story to be able to go back to my alma mater and, and be the athletic director. Um, yeah. 100%. 
you said you had applied for 500 jobs and, you know, and I can remember those, those days too, but I was just applying for things that I was wildly unqualified for, but I would go to NCAA.org. Yes. NAIA.org. And just, I was applying for every athletic director, assistant athletic director job that I, I could find back in the day, never got an interview, but you know, maybe one of these days. Yeah, it's a tough business for sure. You know, that's kind of one reason I got out. You know, you really do. I mean, you have to move around a lot. And I guess you do an economic development. But I mean, friends that I have when I worked in college athletics, I mean, you know, one is like one of the head guys at the Tiger Athletic Fund and, you know, at LSU and one guy's at Rice and another guy's now the AD at uh, UT Chattanooga. And um, so, I mean, you really do kind of have to move around a lot, you know, when when those shakeups do happen and, you know, an athletic director's out, you know, the staff kind of has to then follow him because, you know, they're going to get ousted when the new guy comes in and, you know, wants their own people in there and stuff. So, I mean, it is a, a tough business to be in with a family for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the, the greatest perks of SEDC and we're about to wrap up, but I, I love that college football gets to be part of our conversations. I've got kind of in my hand keynote presentation when I can, I'll come in and we'll, we'll say, okay, we're going to figure out who the greatest college football team of all time is. And we'll move through a bunch of rivals. Then we'll end on whatever their best team was. Then I'll tell them they're wrong. And it's this year's Kentucky team, which is just, you know, insulting. But I, I love that we get to talk college football here. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, you know, you being from Kentucky and being a, a UK fan, you know, I grew up in North Carolina and my dad went to Duke. So, I mean, I was raised a Duke fan. So, I mean, I remember those early the early '90s games. Uh, I think my my dad's joke was always uh, the problem with UK is they're missing the D and the E. Yeah, yeah. We you see a lot of um, shirts around here in Lexington. Someone have a Duke shirt and they'll put tape over the the D and the E. But yeah. we um, we've had an obsession with Duke probably in a way that's not reciprocated. But it goes back to 1992 when Christian Leitner just nailed kind of the best game of all time shot on us. And then it was um, one of our good teams recently. We thought we were, I think it might have been 2010 and 15, by the way, two great UK teams that we thought were our title years that Duke grabbed, you know, which they should vacate. But, you know, another <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Just getting North Carolina. This SEDC sports uh, podcast is, is slowly but surely getting steam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Scott, you made it off the hot seat. Uh, we made it through together. What did you think? Man, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I hope I have not embarrassed uh, you, myself, or the organization any more than I had to uh, to get an invite back, hopefully one day. No, no doubt. We, we would love to have you back. We can't thank you enough for joining the podcast and more importantly for your service to the council and, and the American South. We know you're busy. We know you volunteered so many hours and have been deeply in the weeds as we're in a, a really fun season of reimagination and, and innovation at SEDC. There's a, a lot of growth and energy, and that's large, large. So thank you so much for that. And before we leave, everyone, listeners, please check the SEDC website at SEDC.org and follow us closely on social media. SEDC is incredibly active. We provide educative trainings, program advocacy, data. We host two major conferences annually and many more smaller intensive summits throughout the year. You'll also begin to see SEDC become more involved as a consultative asset and also in business development marketing through an American South label. And we want our members part of everything that we do. So to get plugged in, reach out to us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, email, or even give us an old fashioned phone call. So with that said, 
Thank you, SEDC. Join us next time on the SEDC podcast presented by Insight. Dun, dun, dun.